You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome here. Uh, The kids that are up for Sunday school can head out the back now, and there will be teachers back there to meet you. They are welcome to stay here as well and join us. Well, once again, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here. And welcome to our guests. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we are glad that you are at Citizens this morning. My name is Darcy. I'm on staff here, and it's just good to see you all here on this warm Sunday morning. Maybe I'll start with this question that you don't need to answer out loud, but you can answer in your mind. Why are you here? Not, not, that's not a big existential, why are you here on the planet? Why do you exist in the universe? Why are you here, okay? Why are you at Citizens this morning? Most of us, have come from another church or we've had some sort of experience happen in our lives that has brought us to this place where we're sitting in an old 1960s United Church building that has no air conditioning (laughs) and that will just get hotter and hotter as we go through the summer. And so I hope you're asking yourself the question at some point, not because of the heat alone, but why are you here? Why are you at Citizens Church? And if you're a guest with us this morning, we're starting a three-week series looking at the vision of Citizens Church. And so in many ways, we're having a little bit of a family discussion together. But we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here over the next, hopefully you'll stay for the next three weeks, to enter into this topic with us, the vision of Citizens Church why we exist as a church and why we choose to gather together here and in other places on a regular basis. The vision of our church is on our website and we don't uh, have it on the wall anywhere, but let me read it for you in case you haven't heard it before. It's this. It's that we, Citizens Church, exist to see people come to know and be changed by Jesus And we do this through simple gospel-centered worship, community, and by making disciples who pursue mission in Elmira, and even broader than Elmira as we've grown. This is the kind of the anchor for us as a church, the thing that kind of drives why we exist and why we do what we do. And in the fall of 2019, there was a few of us that just started uh, talking about what it would look like to start a church. You know, if we had a blank canvas, if we could do what we wanted, uh, what would it look like? And we centered it around three really specific things. There's not much more than that. And I've kind of got some uh, images here that kind of show that. It was centered around three things. The gathering, which is what we're doing right now, um, where we focus on Christ and we put like a spotlight on Jesus together. And then missional families where we gather in smaller groupings of 15 to 25 people, 
um, young, old, family, single, everybody together in one room or one backyard. And then the third area is what we call sacred communities. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about each of these. And we're going to start with the smallest of the groupings. We're going to talk about sacred communities, which if you've been coming here for more than a year, it's possible that you've never even heard us use that phrase before, okay? It's been like buried on our website, which isn't even that big, but it's still buried on there. And it's just been something that we haven't talked a lot about, mostly because of restrictions and just the complexity of, you know, doing this when there's all kinds of limitations. And so we've been focusing mostly on the gathering and on missional families. And so today, we want to take a little bit of time to think about this area of sacred communities. And I'm hoping that this message, through God's Word, pushes us a little bit kind of nudges us in the direction, but what I really want it to be is not a push, because a push can push someone away, okay? What I want it to be is an invitation. I hope that you will be drawn into this idea of making disciples and experiencing discipleship in an intimate, what we call, sacred context. Because here's the problem that is before us. There's the potential for every single one of us, that we just kind of get slotted back into the life that we have known. All of us have experienced uh, COVID and everything that that has brought us. All of us have, because we're a church plant, so none of us have been coming to this church for 10 years, okay? All of us have been coming to this church for less than two years. So many of us, if not all of us, are bringing with us experiences, some that are good, some that are bad, that we can just easily just revert right back into. And so the, the problem is that we can lay aside what is an opportunity before us, a season, a time where we could actually enter into something new, where maybe God could stir within our lives and within this local church something different. We just finished doing a series on Habakkuk, three weeks in Habakkuk, and for me, the verse that stood out was Habakkuk 1.5, where God says to the prophet Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God is telling Habakkuk, I'm doing something. I'm doing a work around you. The world may seem chaotic, may seem crazy, but I am doing something. And so the question that I want us to think about is, are we actually willing to enter into something different that God has maybe prepared for us? Are we willing to enter into what Mark Sayers is a dance? Mark Sayers writes and talks a lot about renewal, and he writes this, God leads in the dance of renewal, yet we must be good partners. So God is doing something and God has brought you here, whether this is your first, first Sunday or your 50th Sunday, God is doing something. The question is, are we willing to dance with him? And are we willing to let him take the lead in that dance? So, to join into what God is doing, this week specifically, we're going to talk about going small. And then we're going to talk about going for the heart and then going for discipleship. Okay, so let's begin with 
going for small. And for that, we're just going to touch again on this passage that we just had read to us, Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can look at it yourself, or we're going to have a few verses on the screen. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is just starting his ministry out. He's just getting it going, and he's choosing then for himself some disciples. And so in verse 18, it says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then verse 25 going down, it says, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So here you have in just these verses the contrast of Jesus' ministry. You've got this really intimate moment where Jesus comes and taps a few guys on the shoulder and says, will you follow me? The opportunity is here. Do you want to do it? Do you want to follow me or not? Yes or no? We know throughout the story, some of them, when they kind of saw what Jesus was asking for, they were like, "Mm, this isn't for me. They backed away. But in this case, Jesus comes to them and asks these guys specifically, will you follow me? But at the same time, all the way down to verse 25, there's crowds following. There's like masses of people all following. And throughout the story, as if you've been here in the fall and in the winter, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, we've been seeing that, that there's this, there's this mass of people that are regularly following Jesus. They want to get close to him. They want healings. They want bread, all the benefits of Jesus. But what Jesus is really interested in, what he's really pouring his energy into, is the verses 18 through 20. It's a few very specific people. Jesus could have just gone to the amphitheaters. I don't know, like I'm into kind of Roman history. I love reading about Roman history. And there's still to this day over 230 amphitheaters that you can go to as a tourist. You could walk around in them. It was like a, a phenomenon with the Roman people to um, mostly to do sporting activities, which was to kill people, okay, and for everybody to watch them. But it was also to, to be there and do theater, to do the arts, to practice rhetoric, to debate ideas. Why didn't Jesus just do that? There's still three in Israel that you can go and sit at, and they still do like different festivals there. Why didn't Jesus just go to the amphitheaters and just make his case for like thousands of people? Some of these amphitheaters can seat like 40 to 50,000 people. Doesn't that seem like more effective? But Jesus, in this case here, and throughout his ministry, he chooses the way of smallness. He brings the circle of people around him that he's investing in to a very small number of people. The temptation for us, and I, maybe I just like revealed my cards, our temptation is to go big, right? To go to the amphitheater, to like fill the halls, to make things like big and showy, or we are all enticed by and have been sold by kind of modern capitalistic mindset of like increase is better, growth in the stock exchange is good, decrease, smallness is bad generally. 
most of you who run businesses, you're not looking for that, right? You're not looking for smallness. You're hoping for growth and you're hoping for like big things to happen. And we bring that mindset into the Christian life, into the church world. It's so appealing. We've been in here before in a room of like 15 people. This feels better, okay? I will admit, this feels better. We're just like drawn to that, this idea of bigness. Now listen, God is not opposed to bigness, all right? The fact that the room is big here is not something that God is just shrugging his shoulders at. The question is, is this what attracts us? And is this what really God is looking for? Just this like grandeur, this bigness, or is it something smaller, more intimate? And is it possible for us, whether we're a church of 50, which we've been, or whether we're a church of 100 or plus 150, which we are, or whether we're a church of 1,500, is it still possible to get this smallness that Christ is exemplifying for us? Our Christian life happens in kind of three ways. And maybe you've heard this before. It happens with salvation. Obviously, that is the the origin, that is where you start as a Christian. You're, you're made new in Christ. You are secure in Jesus. You are birthed new. And then the middle section is what we call sanctification, where you are slowly being formed and changed into the image of Christ, which then ultimately leads to glorification. When you die and go and be in God's presence, or if you're here when Christ returns, you will be glorified. The problems of your life will be no longer. The aches and pains, if you have any, will disappear. And you will be in God's presence, fully experiencing Jesus. Now, most of our lives, most of our Christian lives, is the second one. Sanctification. It is this slow, long process that takes years and years if, if the Lord gives us the life, it takes decades and decades. The other day, we were out um, in the park, and they were doing like a, a tree planting thing. So we were planting trees in the park, beautiful little saplings. And the guy that was kind of helping to show us how to do that, he was like, yeah, I, you know, I do this with other kids. And they were there one time at a different park, and he said, we should all meet back here in 50 years and see what these trees will be like. And he said, I'll actually be dead, because he was, you know, I don't know, in his 50s or 60s. But he's like, you kids, you should come back here in 50 years, because the trees will be massive, and their trunks, you know, will be like this big. That's what sanctification is like. It's decades of ups and downs in life, of slowly experiencing things, and it's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the community of God coming together slowly over time being shaped and formed into the person and the image of Christ. And I'm guessing, I'm not the only one that thinks that's not that appealing actually. We like things to happen faster. We like things to move quicker. Couldn't I just get the amount of growth that I see in 30 years? Couldn't I just do that in one year? And I'll tell you, there, honestly, there are seasons in life where you do have like exponential growth. Usually those are the hardest, most difficult seasons in your life. 
So if you're looking for that, it's probably coming at some point. But the most difficult seasons in your life will produce massive growth in your life. But overall, we tend to just slowly grow like a giant oak tree over time. And so Jesus is actually calling his disciples to that kind of slow growth and investment. He's asking them, do you want to follow me? And he did it. If you look at his life, he did it with a group of 70 people, kind of loosely. And then he did it with the 12 very closely. And then he even did it with three really intimately. With James and John and Peter, you see this really close relationship where Jesus is doing the most intimate details of life with them. So what is Jesus doing then? If he has these categories, why is he spending the majority of his time with the three and with the twelve? What he wants to do is actually get to the heart of the matter, to go to the deeper things in life. Not just the making the bread, not just the miracles, as wonderful as those things are. Jesus wants to go to the heart. And so, if you have a Bible, I got a couple of passages here just to look at really briefly. They'll actually be on the slide, so you can just look at them. But throughout Scripture, God is wanting to get to the heart of the matter. The heart is where things actually happen, where your um, choices are made, where the things that you desire become reality. Your actions, the things that you have chosen to do with your life, that, that kind of outward action is actually the result of what's happening in your heart. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus has one of these famous interactions with the Pharisees, and he really goes to task on them here. He just like nails them. He almost sounds a little grouchy here, okay? This is Jesus grouchy, but he, he gets to the truth. Verse 34 says this, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus has been interacting with the Pharisees over and over again. And they're trying to play it up like they are religious people, like they know what they're doing. And in this case, Jesus is like, okay, I've had enough here. I'm going to speak the truth to you. What's really going on in your heart is being revealed now. You guys are like a brood of vipers. You are evil, and it's actually showing itself. You're trying to hide it behind the veil of clothing and behind the veil of religiosity. And Jesus says, I'm going to reveal to people what's actually going on. It's your heart being revealed. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So the things that are really important to us, the things that are driving your life, whether you realize it or not, are being driven by the deep values and the things that you believe in at a heart level. You can, another way of saying that is it's your worldview. It's the engine that drives your worldview. The things that you are for and the things that you are against are driven by that. And to get to that part of a person's being, this, the proverb says, is like really deep work. Who's ever put like a bucket into a well? Probably very few people. That was like a thing that like a century ago, everybody would have raised their hand, okay? Now everyone's like, a well, what's a well, you know? I turn on the tap, I don't know. We lived in Africa where people still dig wells by hand, okay? I've seen someone dig a 30-meter well by hand, and you look down that well, 
and the person looks like this big at the bottom, okay? That's what this proverb is saying. To get water from a well, you got to like send this bucket way down, do the work, get it over, and then pull it up, which is hard work. That's what it's like to get to the heart of us. And Jesus is saying, in my ministry, I'm, I'm great with the crowds. I'm even great with like a sub-crowd, but I really want to invest in a few people. I really want to pour into just a few because I know the work of, of the heart is deep down kind of work. So in Scripture, we see this going to the heart in a lot of different ways. And I want to look really quickly here at three passages, okay, where we see in the New Testament either the Apostle Paul doing something, Christ doing something, or maybe the text beckoning us as God's people to do the heart work, okay, to go into those deep places. And the first passage is in Matthew 26, where Jesus has a specific word for Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, Peter. Peter said, sorry, Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples did the same. This is a story that probably we're well familiar with. We're used to the idea of Peter denying Jesus. Like, it's so a part of the narrative that it just makes sense to us. It just clicks. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus tries to warn Peter? Jesus actually has a prophetic word for Peter. And and maybe in your mind it makes sense because it's Jesus. He knows the future. He's being prophetic because he knows exactly what's going to happen. But Jesus, through after having spent three years with Peter, really close years, night after night around the fire, talking, getting to like the deep things, here now in this moment, Jesus sees before Peter a fork in the road, and Jesus, in a, in a moment of love, says to Peter, this is what's coming, man. You are going to deny me. Jesus has the strength to actually tell that to Peter. To just say it right to his face, that you're going to do something, you're going to stab me in the back. Does that seem like something that you would do? Is that something that, something, like, that you're eager to do, to tell someone, the, like, you, the thing that, that they don't maybe even see yet, but what's on the horizon for them is not going to be for their good. And a willingness to tell someone that. And again, maybe in this text, we're just like, we're chalking it up to Jesus. He can say whatever he wants, right? He can tell the truth any way he wants. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that, okay? Let's go to the next text, okay? Galatians chapter 6. Now this text, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, telling them what to do, 
okay, with another hard word for them, one that is really difficult to put into practice. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 goes like this. Brothers, or sisters for that matter, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Paul is telling the church there. Paul is saying, here's what you guys need to do. When you see someone in transgression, or that's just another way of saying in sin, sin has entered into their life, there's somehow they've walked into that. You who are spiritual, you, the church, that's who Paul is talking about. Part of your responsibility is to go into that person's face and to talk to them about this. But Paul is really specific about how you're supposed to do that. Because maybe there's some, I know there's some in you who you just love the adrenaline pumping. You're just like, yes, get in someone's grill. I'm all over that, you know, like really just go into it, lay into them. I'm all for that. But Paul says, there's a way that you're supposed to do that. Look again at verse one. You who are spiritual, so you're supposed to be in tune with the spirit of God. You're supposed to be led by God's Holy Spirit. And then he also says a few words later, also keep watch of your own self. So you don't just like get up in someone's grill just for like the drive and for, you know, because Paul said it, now I'm doing it. Paul's like, you need to be in the spirit, in close relationship with God. Your own life, you should be like looking at it. So with honest evaluation. And then in that moment, you should in, in love go towards your brother and sister Talk about intimate relationship. I don't know if you've ever done this before. It's in there. It's telling us to do it. That's really hard to live this out and to do it well. And maybe, I know I've had this happen, I've had the experience where someone has maybe tried to do this and it's not gone well at all. They have not come you know, in a spirit of restoration. They have just come for, you know, the laying it on of transgression and, and it's just not gone well at all. Even in like soft ways. I remember when I was in, in Bible school, everybody was like, after every class, you know, everybody was like really excited about whatever truth it was. And, and the guy that was like in charge of my dorm one, one week, he was like, he was like, okay, man, I got to ask you to stop listening to any more of that secular music. I don't know what I was listening to, okay? It was probably like Yanni or something, but it was like, I'm, I don't want you to listen to any more of that secular music. I just, I got to cut all that stuff out of my life. And, and it was just like, okay, it was just an awkward conversation. And so I think I did that. I can't even remember. I think I tried my best. But then like a week later, he was like, okay, you know that thing I talked to you about? I'm over that actually now, okay? Like, you'll be all right. And so it was... The whole experience was just kind of odd and weird. And so maybe you've had that before. And so when you come to a text like Galatians here, you're like, I don't want to do that. It's been awkward. I didn't do it well. They didn't do it well. I'm just going to like pretend those don't exist. But Paul is saying, that's what we're called to do. And that takes 
deeply personal relationships where we can actually talk to each other about real things. Okay, the last one, maybe my favorite, is in Philemon. Philemon, chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Philemon is this amazing story where the Apostle Paul meets someone who is a slave who has run away, and he actually knows the slave's owner. And so Paul is like, you know, God has brought these people together, and now Paul is coming back to the slave owner with a letter. And so in verse 8, it says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do this, to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who is the runaway slave, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. And then verse 17, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul's, he starts off by saying, listen, I could just lay it in. I could come in heavy here. He's like, I have apostle, apostolic authority. I could just say, let him back into your home. You know, make things right. But what does Paul do? Paul appeals. Paul says, I'm laying aside this apostolic authority. He's like, I know you. We're brothers together. Obviously, if you read Philemon, it's like there's like a bond of relationship here. And Paul says, I'm laying aside my authority. I'm appealing to you as a brother. Will you do what's right in this circumstance? In this really difficult thing of taking back a slave who's rightfully yours in the Roman world, who's rightfully his to own this person, and he's run away. He could even take him in for prosecution and all kinds of things. And Paul's saying, I know this is really difficult to take him back in as a freed person and now as a brother in Christ. But Paul says, I'm appealing to you. I'm begging. Will you do this? And that comes through deep relationship. The ability to appeal. In a sense, to beg for someone. To think of a, a different course for their life that maybe they would rather have. To think of a different way to follow Jesus that maybe they've never thought of before or to lay aside something that their culture, their world, all their friends say, you deserve that. Now someone is saying, here's what Christ is calling you to. I'm appealing to you. Will you take that? And to do that, we have to have a willingness to go to the deeper issues of life. To not be taken in by the trivialities, to not be satisfied by the cheap conversations, the ones that we all go to, and we need a little bit of them just to break the ice, but the Word of God says where the real work happens, where the real sanctification happens over decades of work is deep in the heart, is in the places that the the bucket going into the well has to go really far down into. And over and over again, this is only three examples that we've looked at in the Word of God. Just read through the epistles, Read through the life of Jesus. Jesus will do all kinds of things, but what he's really longing for, what he's really working for is the heart going down deep. So for us here at Citizens, this is also what we are longing for. We want to get to the heart of the matter. 
We want to put into place only enough things that we need to put into the place to where we're seeing within our congregation like real deep conversations happening. Now, we're not like watching or listening in, okay? But we know that they're happening where people are coming together, where they're spending time in prayer and conversation, where the Holy Spirit is active, where God's Word is at the center, and where the Holy Spirit can have His way in our lives. And it's in those places that God's actually going to do something. It's in those places where the vision of Citizens Church will actually grow and flourish. So, to go to the heart, we want to go for discipleship. And we call that sacred communities. And the reason we call it sacred is because when you go inside, when you go into the deep things, it is a sacred space. Because all of us are flawed human beings. We all come with a ton of baggage, okay? We all come with a lot of problems. The longer you lived, the more, the more there are, okay? So I've got a whole bunch that I'm bringing with me and all you young people, you're like, I just got my little bundle, it's gonna grow, okay? We all come with problems, things that we've done wrong, choices that we've made, things that other people have done to us, unprovoked. And those things we carry with us. And the only way that we go to those places is through deeper conversations. And so we want to facilitate or provide an opportunity. This is not something that we make everybody do. But we offer this opportunity for you to enter in to sacred communities. And we basically do three things here as we kind of wrap up our time. The first is we tell stories, okay? Not just any story. We tell the stories of our lives, we regularly meet together to talk about what God has maybe done in the past, telling our story, but also just in the last week. And the ability to be fully honest and transparent. For some, that's easy to do. You can just go straight into the heart things, not a problem at all. For others of us, it's like, it's a real effort. I was just, last week I was speaking at another church, and I, I met someone who I'd known for 20 plus years and actually, I met them in, in Bible school. And uh, so there they were, visiting the church and got to chat with them. And, and I was like, how, I, the question that we all ask, right? How you doing, you know? And I got like two seconds till I'm going to go up and speak. How you doing, you know? And thankfully, they were able to like right in the moment, go straight to the heart. And they were like, you know what? It's been like a really difficult season. And it's actually been a really hard week. Just lost my job, actually, he said. And it was like, whoa. They were able to just, like, get to the heart in that moment, right in the front of the sanctuary, able to just pray for them as literally tears are streaming down their face. And you're like, some people and some circumstances lead you there to the heart. But most of us need times to tell our stories, to build relationships over coffee or over breakfast or over a dinner with family or whatever. We spend time talking about what God has done in our lives and we tell our stories. And secondly, probably most importantly, we spend time listening to each other, okay? When the stories are being told, we listen. But specifically as Christians, as people whose lives have been changed by Jesus, we listen actually with purpose. And the thing that we should be listening for is, is this story the true story that is being told here. So as I'm interacting with someone, I'm always putting through a filter of my mind, and I hope that you are doing this too, is what they're telling me, 
this event that has just gone on in their life in the last week, or this thing that has just happened to them over the last two months, is that story the true story of what's going on? Or have they somewhere along the line grabbed a hold of a, of a narrative of a story that is not actually connected to the great narrative that God is laying out before us over time in history? God is, is playing out before us over thousands of years and from this day forward we get to watch his story of redemption be unrolled before our eyes. All that Christ has done, what God is doing now through us and through his church. And we tell stories sometimes and we hang on to stories that are not connected to the greater story of what God is doing. And so as we're listening to one another, we hear sometimes that is not actually the true story of redemption that someone has linked their life to. And so in the listening then, we should be prepared for the last thing that we do, which is the ability to speak truth to each other. The ability to say, you're actually hanging your hopes onto something that is outside of God's story of redemption. Now, hear me clearly. Jeff Vanderstilt says it this way, ask 10 questions and listen for every pronouncement that you make. Okay? Ask 10 questions and listen before you say anything. And that's also coming out of Proverbs. Proverbs is saying, do a lot of time listening and hearing, asking questions, doing the work of sending the bucket down, then speak truth. And when, if you really want to be sure about the truth that you're speaking, use the word of God, not as a weapon, but as a revealer of God's redemptive story and what God is doing. So we tell stories, we listen, and we speak the truth in sacred communities. This idea of going small and going for the heart and really going for discipleship is something that we want to see grow at Citizens Church. And now that we can gather together outside or you can go in people's homes, hopefully it's going to stay that way for the rest of our lives. We want to build this culture of discipleship. I know even for myself, I was able to be with a few guys uh, last year in a sacred community and um, we sat outside in the cold because it was like during restriction time. We sat outside, literally one day we sat outside in the rain until um, we were wet enough and we prayed for each other. We went through uh, hard seasons together. We challenged each other to read God's word. Someone challenged me to read through the Bible in 60 days. Have you ever done that before? Read through the Bible in 60 days. And I actually did it with this other guy, able to like see it through to the end. It was life-changing to read through the Bible in 60 days. And so this morning, I want to invite you to think about sacred communities. I want to invite you to think about what your life could look like if you spent three months, six months with someone in deeper conversation. And here's the challenge that I want to set before you because many of you know each other or maybe you know like a section of Citizens Church. I want to invite you to get together with someone who you don't know. If you're single, meet with someone who's married. If you're married, meet with someone who's single. Or if you have kids, someone who doesn't have kids. Or someone whose kids are emptiness. Somebody who doesn't think the way you do. 
Someone who, when you get together, you're not just going to tell the old stories again. We have before us an opportunity. We've gone through a storm together. And it's in those difficult moments, those hardships, where God actually tills the soil. He makes it ready to do something. And we've been saying through the Gospel of Mark that the kingdom of God is like a seed. And so when the, when the ground is tilled and ready, we want to put in a seed of the kingdom of God. And let's do that together with each other. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can encourage each other and help each other. And Lord, for each of us who maybe, whoever of us who've never done this before or it makes us even nervous to think about this, um, Lord, I pray that we as a church would facilitate this in a spirit of grace and love and encouragement so that we can, over the years and decades, grow more into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.